0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Meadle, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris.
1: How's it going, Rachel? I'm super
0: excited to record today. What do you got for me?
1: Okay. So um, in the history of technology, sometimes there is monumental leaps forward. And uh, today I want to share one with you. So let me give you a quick example. I think we can all agree that when the iPad came out, it was sort of a game changer uh, for tablet technology and how we interface with things. The iPhone also, uh, you could put into that realm too, uh similar devices, but things shifted in the thought process and in in humankind. Would you agree?
0: Yes. I feel like those were game changers for a variety of different things and people and industries
1: yeah i mean across the globe i would say you know different parts uh, certainly are affected differently but um and of course in aac and in learning the ipad and the uh ios in general but the ipad was very influential as a tool for helping people learn
0: Yes, definitely, and so funny. I remember when the first iPad came out. I was like, "Ooh!" I was, of course, an early adopter because I've always loved technology, <laughs> and I remember thinking, "Like, wow, this is gonna like be a game changer for our field
1: and what we do." So, um, other things maybe falling into that realm are voice assistants like uh, Alexa right? Uh, Could be another thing that has really maybe changed, maybe not as powerful as some people thought it was going to be, or it's not as powerful yet. Um, But, you know, be able to talk to your technology and it do things for you. uh, Certainly a game changer. Yeah. Yes,
0: absolutely. I use Siri all the time.
1: All the time. Right. Uh, Talking to your technology is just a thing. So, I feel like we're on the cusp of another one. I mean, there's other things too that maybe haven't panned out. So maybe what I'm about to predict here won't actually come to fruition. Um, so, for instance, I'm not sure virtual reality is, uh, uh, it's been around for a while, but I'm not sure that it has. Mm, blossomed into the thing. I think it will, maybe eventually. But it wasn't like, oh, we came up with the the Oculus came out, and now everything has shifted everywhere for everybody, and we're all wearing Oculuses. You know, where like the iPhone or you know uh, mobile phones, everyone has one in their pocket, or most people do. Fair.
0: Yep. Fair.
1: All right. So here here we go. Here's what I'm leading up to. Have you heard of Chat GPT?
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, tell me what it is, Chris.
1: <laughs> well, you know it's weird how our algorithms work because as soon as I started investigating ChatGPT and heard of it, now it's like everything that comes up in my TikTok and Instagram and all my the algorithms are like, well, Chris. So I start to get, uh, and I think a lot of people maybe fall into this trap. Oh well, everyone must have heard about this because it's I see it all the time in my newsfeed, but that newsfeed is customized to me, right? Not you, so and, and others. So. Uh, like the, the algorithm's like, well, Chris must want to learn more about ChatGPT, and that influences how I think. Like, well, everyone must know about this. But clearly, that's not how it works, because you haven't heard about it, and we have similar interests for the most part.
0: That's true. I'm surprised I haven't heard about it if you've heard about it, but I'm excited to learn about it.
1: Okay, so what ChatGPT is, is probably the the, um, I'll, I'll keep the hyperbole away. I'm just going to show it to you and let you maybe, because it'll be your first reaction to it, see what you think about it. But what it is, ChatGPT is artificial intelligence. Now I have a little bit of in thinking about that term, artificial intelligence, I think there's, I'm clearly a novice when it comes to it. I know that that there's lots of people that do a lot of research and have a lot of talk about, or talk a lot about what is artificial intelligence. But generally what it is, it is a sort of a natural language processing computer program that learns uh, and has taken this large language sample, and you can communicate with it, and it can generate things for you in a In what I find is a very amazing way. I mean, an amazing way. So we'll see if you have the same um, reaction as I do. And we'll do it live here on the podcast since you haven't seen it before. Sound fair? I'm excited. Okay, cool. What chat GPT stands for, like what's the G and what's the P and the T, chat stands for chat, right? Like uh, um, we all have the experience of um, contacting some sort of, or back in the day, calling someplace and getting an automated message and hit one if you want, hit two, right? Some sort of tree that elevated to uh, where you're typing in questions when you're Calling some sort of service and asking questions, and they're responding, but it's not really a person. It's a chat bot, right? Uh, that sort of thing. Well, this is like that amplified by a thousand. So that's what the chat is the GPT, G. Now, this is why it's interesting and why we should be talking about this on this podcast is for generative, right? How often are you and I and all of our guests talking about generative language, right? Being able to create language without having it pre-scripted, just kind of off. uh, It's coming up from your own uh, intelligence, your own brain, right? So generative, it's generative. It says pre-trained. That's what the P is for. So um, what these programmers did is they took... Uh, a large corpus and they put it into this artificial intelligence software and they pre-trained it and then the t's called for transformer and i don't honestly i don't really know what that means yet but okay so this website again if you want to go and play with it on your own the website that you want to go to is chat.openai.com you create a free account everything we're going to talk about here today is free and then what you do is you set up, you know, you can sign up with Google just like any other service, you know. And I, now I'm going to switch over and I'm going to share my screen here on Zoom so that you can see what we're about to see, okay? Um, can you see my screen there, Rachel?
0: I can see it, yes. Chat GPT.
1: Okay, so ignore the stuff on the left because those are me, some some questions I've asked it. You don't know anything about this. So let's say, Rachel, you are going to want to write a blog post or... Um uh I don't know, just like in general, what's something you might be curious about? And let's since we're doing a podcast about AAC, let's put it in the realm of AAC.
0: Um, you know, well, I'll make this really practical. I was just brainstorming actually on the plane ride home, um, some potential blogs for twenty twenty-three on my website. And one of the ones that I was thinking about writing was the importance of a coaching model when working with students who use AAC.
1: What is the importance of using a coaching model for those, no, to communication? You can see I'm typing that into a window. Is that a fair summary of what you're asking? Yep. Yep. What is the importance of using a coaching model to educate communication partners about augmentative slash alternative communication? Enter. Let's see what it says. You can see what's happening right now. It is a cursor moving across the screen and it is like typing, right? You're, it's like it's you you're watching somebody type out a response. I'm not currently reading it, right? I'm just describing it because this is an audio podcast, so people need to have an audio description of what's happening. Uh, But you can see that it is typing out some sort of response. It's generating uh, from this pre-trained corpus of vocabulary in a natural language way what the answer would be. So in in, in essence, this could be your blog post. Now I'm going to read it out loud, and we're going to see how it did, okay? Alright, using a coaching model to educate communication partners about augmentative slash alternative communication can be important for several reasons. First, it can help to ensure that the communication partner is able to effectively support the use of AAC by the individual who is relying on it to communicate. This can involve teaching the communication partner about the specific AAC system being used, as well as strategies for how to effectively use and support the use of AAC in various communication contexts. Second, a coaching model can help to empower the communication partner by giving them the skills and knowledge they need to be an effective support for the individual using AAC. This can help to build communication partners' confidence and competence in using AAC, which can, can, in turn, help to increase the individual's participation and success in communication. Finally, a coaching model can help to foster a collaborative relationship between the individual using AAC and their communication partner by working together to learn about and use AAC effectively the communication partner can become a more integral and valued member of the individual's communication team
0: i'm in shock right now
1: <laughs> wild right tell me that's not wild
0: <laughs> that's crazy i mean here's the here's the great thing is like you know i think that we could definitely use this as a um use this as a really good foundation and then go in and add more specific things right but this like standalone is that's amazing
1: isn't it I mean it's like somebody asked us that question and then we answered it with some tweaks like you said like I wouldn't it's not exactly everything that I would say or that you would say or that we maybe you would put in a blog post but it's a it's a pretty good start right
0: Yeah. You know, what's funny, Chris, is literally this morning I was scrolling on either TikTok or Instagram and I often times will come across people who are talking about how to use tools like Instagram and Canva and all these things, right, um, for business purposes. So they're kind of like business coaches coaching you on new, you know, ways to use these tools. And I saw that Canva, has this this ability to do this on canva i just saw it this morning it's like oh you want to create you know a blog post about five strategies to keep your new year's resolution and it literally populated five strategies to help people with their new year's resolution and i was like oh my gosh and i like i liked it I, i bookmarked it and i'm gonna share it with my team so that's what this is right that's what that was
1: Exactly. See, this is just one example. I'd say maybe the premier example of artificial intelligence. But there's, uh, like I said, my my social media feed has now been flooded with this because clearly the, um, the interwebs know that uh, the artificial intelligence knows that I'm interested in this. And so now I'm getting all sorts of versions of of other AI that can do other things. And I've been investigating and playing with them. And of course we've had this in it. If you've been a Patreon member, we've talked about AI on our Patreon and given some examples of how you can create images using AI. And there's some examples there, but uh, yeah, I think this is just one, your canvas, another one, and we're going to see, we continue to see more. Um, again, I, I, I think we should give another example because like, well, maybe that's a one-off. I mean, but because it's pretty specific though, like coaching. So I, I, just to give other people another feel or flavor for it, what's another question we might ask it?
0: Um, related to AAC? Whatever. It is interesting that like something as niche as AAC <laughs> came up, right? Because I feel like the general one, I was like, oh, the new year's resolution, that feels so generic. But like, this was a very specific question. Um, okay. Another, let's see. Um, let's ask a question about motor planning.
1: I actually have done this already. So maybe I've already, because <laughs> con- I was like, well, okay, when I was messing with it, I, your, your brain rents a rate right, exactly where my brain is shocker <laughs> <laughs> um and i wanted to see what the response would be okay i here's how i framed your question let me be sure what is the importance of motor planning when considering augmentative slash alternative communication is that a fair uh yep. you said setting up maybe and i said considering but otherwise is that right good okay that's great all right, all right here we go it's typing and see again because this might be another blog post right I mean that, that, that my post of course this is we've just had- gonna
0: be my go-to <laughs> blog post hack <laughs> also because I feel like I've always said um, and I, you know this Chris but maybe our listeners don't before I was a speech language pathologist I was in journalism and I always felt like I was a better editor than I ever was a writer I mean I had to do a lot of writing but I also did editing I worked for my college newspaper and things like that but it was always so much easier when I had something already to look at to go in and change it versus just coming up with something to begin with was always the hardest part for me. So I feel like this takes off the hard work out of it and I can go in and easily edit and change and revise.
1: Exactly, exactly. There's other implications there that I wanna talk about, um, but let me read the results because they finished just in those few seconds that you were talking about your journalism background. Okay, here, here it is, you ready? Motor planning is an... Im- Motor planning is an important consideration when using augmentative alternative communication because it refers to the ability to plan and execute the movements needed to communicate effectively. For individuals who use AAC, this may involve selecting and activating the appropriate symbols or words on a communication device or producing spoken words or gestures. Problems with motor planning can make it difficult for individuals to use AAC effectively as they may struggle to generate and execute the necessary movements to communicate their needs and wants. This can lead to frustration and a decrease in the individual's ability to participate in communication. In order to support the effective use of AAC, it's important to consider the individual's motor planning abilities and provide appropriate supports as needed. This may include providing additional time for the individual to initiate and complete communication, breaking down messages into smaller steps or chunks, and providing physical or verbal prompts to support the production of specific movements or words. By addressing issues with motor planning, it may be possible to improve the individual's ability to use AAC effectively and participate more fully in communication. L- less, uh, I mean, <laughs> my mind's again, blown right now. <laughs> pretty amazing as a start, I think. Again, you and I, who have talked about it and 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 have some uh, experience with what we say about motor planning. Good start, not perfect, but wow, as a precursor to, I don't know anything about water planning, this gets you on the green, right? We could tap it into the hole.
0: Yep, yep, that's amazing.
1: So you had mentioned how, like, okay, rather than generating some sort of essay or some sort of thing, I, if I had, I could plug my question in here as a researcher, as a journalist, and then I could edit it, right? It, just like if you were going to write these blog posts that you were talking about, that you were brainstorming on the flight back, maybe you'd start here and, and edit it, right? Well, this is what some educators, and now I think uh, it'll continue to spread like wildfire across the the globe, is. Well, if students can do this and they take any essay prompt and they plop it into here, how do I know that they're just not copying and pasting it into the response so that is it really chat GPT or some other AI that is creating the essay or generating it? Or is it um, their own generative thoughts, right? And so I think there is already a little bit of a rush to block. Well, let's block this from students so they can't access it at school. Which I'm going to come out and say is again really the wrong strategy here, right? I mean, it's not going away. AI is going to get more powerful and better. We have to teach kids how to use it. So, what can we say to say, okay, let's write a what's a what's a question that could be asked that students couldn't answer using ChatGPT, or um, if ChatGPT can answer their question then and use it as an essay can can they start it and then tweak it from there like you just suggested you might do with your with your journalism background
0: yeah and i think that like your to your point we we can't Run away from technology, right? We have to embrace it because it's coming and it's here. And how do we teach our students how to interact with it? How to make it useful? How to save them time and be strategic when using it? Um, it kind of reminds me of the work that we do with um speech to text, right? Like we have our students kind of speak their thoughts onto the paper and then go and teach them how to organize it and revise it and add more information. I'm always talking with my you know, older students on how can we be more specific, right? Like, you know, things like that are strategies that we can teach and the technology helps us make it faster and there's no need to run away from that. Um, I think that embracing it fully and then teaching kids how to interact with it is really what we should be doing.
1: Well, that's exactly it, right? The skill is how to interact with the technology. Uh, We just used two examples where you generated questions, but it can do other things as well. So for instance, imagine there's this long article you could copy that article, paste it in here and say, could you please summarize this article? And ChatGPT will pull out the bullet points, make notes, right? Or make a shortened version, which summarizing text has been a strategy, certainly in the assistive technology world, we've used for a long, long time. Um, taking notes, this can help you with note taking. Uh, and I, I, that's just scratching the surface of what it can do. So really, I think what your point is, and I think it's well well made, is that it's we can't run away from these things. We have to help the next generation use these things uh, in an effective manner.
0: Yeah. No. Totally. I mean, I think that there's oftentimes a a fear around new technologies too, right? I think very often, you know, obviously you are a, you and I have a podcast all about technology, and we really geek out on it, so we're early adopters and fully embrace with warm, open arms. Um, but yeah, there's definitely going to be some pushback against this, and that's kind of par for the course for any of the technologies, right? Like remember, remember that podcast recording where I was talking about the, the dad not wanting my student to use um, the Google Read&Write uh, Chrome extension because he didn't want her to rely too much on it. <laughs> he wanted her to do it on her own. I'm putting all those things in air quotes. Um, so I think this is no different.
1: So I would encourage everybody to go check it out, chat.openai.com. Uh, I'll say one last thing to you, Rachel, when I was first learning about it and playing with it, it was um, AT Chat was going on, and AT Chat has a series of five questions that are put out on Twitter. And I took those five questions and put them in chat GPT just to see how they'd be answered. And it was amazing. Um, I shared those with uh, out on the, I didn't want to, like derail the conversation on Twitter and make it about chat GPT. I wanted to keep the questions authentic, but again, it was a little bit mind blowing how on, on track it was with the, with the, its responses. Um, so everyone, again, that's website is chat.openai.com and would love to hear what you think about it. Um, before we move on to the interview and we are hearing about the interview, I just want to issue a quick apology. So, um, I just today was listening back to the Brian Schobel episode, um, and I realized that that was the one where you and I recorded the banter in the Minneapolis airport, and for some reason I was thinking I I added an N to his name, Brian Schnoble. It's not Schnoble, it's it's Schobel. so uh, my apologies to Brian.
0: All right, Chris, can I tell you about our interview today?
1: Yes, please. I can't wait.
0: So I had the pleasure of interviewing Lara Clark. Uh, I was introduced to Lara because she created an amazing free website called Reading for All, uh, which we'll link to in our show notes. But this resource, Chris, is invaluable if you're working with students using AAC and you're trying to figure out how to support their literacy. Uh, Lara has done an amazing job of creating completely free resources, um, to support literacy in AAC users. So we spend most of the interview talking about her experience with that. Um, and also, you know, her sharing the different ways that you can use her website. Um, I constantly am sending this website to teams that I'm on to help support their ability to, you know, work with students using a comprehensive literacy approach. And I'm really excited to share the interview that I did with her today.
1: If you enjoy talking with tech, we could use your help in spreading the word about the podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. The more positive reviews the podcast gets, the easier it becomes for others to find it. The more people who find the podcast, the more the word spreads about how to effectively consider and implement AAC. And who doesn't want that? If that sounds good to you, please take a moment and give the podcast a quick review. We'd so very much appreciate it. Now, let's get back into the episode.
0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Laura Clark. Laura, I'm so excited to have you here. I just can't wait
2: to chat. It's been a lifelong dream to talk with you. I appreciate all the resources you
0: share and the wonderful podcast. So it was wonderful to be able to talk with you today. Laura, you're doing amazing work in our field, and you have some amazing resources that I can't wait to share. Before we dive into all that, can you just share a little bit about who you are? And I'm really excited to hear all about your journey with AAC, with your family. We started
2: our uh, journey in special education as a family with our son, Daniel, who is our second child. And Daniel didn't meet any of our developmental milestones. Uh, We have a family member who really said to us, we need to start doing some early intervention And it took my husband and I um, quite a few years in a wandering journey to uh, move through some assessment processes. And we were that family who every time we went to a doctor's appointment and they said to us, your child isn't meeting milestones. We were always like, what? No, Um, that that cycle of parent grief was always pretty intense for us. And it was always a really strange feeling that you walked in the door with Dan. We walked out of the door with Dan. He's the same child from when we went in the assessment to after. But the grief of those diagnoses and what we call prognoses, right of significant disability every time just um, was kind of just a you know punch to the guts. is maybe how Dan and I would talk about it afterwards. It took us a long time to really journey through the best supports we could provide for Dan. And as we moved through preschool and early intervention, we really struggled as a family with, you know, how do we send our very small child who is nonverbal? at that time and um, needed a ton of supports for all of his activities of daily living. Um, Dan runs like a gazelle. He has speed that no one can usually catch. So we had a lot of uh, concerns about eloping and just lots of parent fears. And so for our parent journey, um, we opted for me to go back to school and I began teaching as an emergency certified teacher. And in Kentucky where we live, we have an alternative certification route So I got my teaching certification and taught elementary special education for students with mild to moderate disabilities. I kind of kept going and kept learning um, more and more to try and support uh, our students, but also to support Dan. And so I ended up with my mild to moderate certification, my moderate to severe certification, early childhood, and then decided I loved learning so much and there was more to know in the field. I got my doctorate in special education at the University of Cincinnati and I started teaching and doing some faculty work, and I was blessed to teach at two universities where I really got to spend a lot of time with pre-service teachers and teachers in the field talking about what they see as the most significant barriers to inclusive practice. And communication just over and over again was that resounding piece that we said, you know, students, if they're not able to share with us uh, their wants, their needs, their thoughts, you know, not just answer the question, well, who was the story about, but what do you think about the story and how do you feel right now? And what would you like to tell me about your evening? And if we're not really intentionally providing access to content and to um, to what I want to say when I want to say it, then you know, it's really hard for our students to feel part of the learning process. So I've been blessed in the journey to work with fantastic educators who are always growing and learning. And one of the people I got to spend some time with along the way is uh, Dr. Caroline Musselwhite. I met her at ATIA and went to some of her sessions, and she introduced us to um, Karen Erickson's work with Comprehensive Literacy for All, which was the most fantastic journey you know one could ever take, right? Uh, at the time that I got to go to ATIA and met Dr. Musselwhite, I also was uh, working in our regional cooperative in Kentucky supporting 17 school districts that support students with more significant disabilities and was really thinking through the lens of everyone needs access to great materials, but teacher budgets are always on pennies and dimes, right? And so how do we really take this fantastic work and make it actionable so that every teacher everywhere can give students access? At the same time I was doing that, my son, we had already gotten up to high school and, and graduating, and he didn't have access to this fantastic body of knowledge, right? So the literacy opportunities for him as a young student um, were still in the infancy days, I would say. And AAC was still very much in its infancy. You know, Dan um, definitely grew up through preschool and early elementary school in the days when we were doing a lot of PECS uh, manned requirements. And um, we had all kinds of rules in AAC. So at the time you had to prove your mastery, right?
1: You yeah. had to
2: be able to, to match two pictures and to, and to request with four before you were given access to six words. Right. And, um, as you can imagine, uh, we had very limited progress
0: there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to to turn communication into this test, right? And to then, you know, wonder absolutely. why our students plateau and don't make progress.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we, um, as Dan got into the older teenage years, you know, I think most of us hopefully are at that uh, attitude. It's never too uh, late to start, Right. <laughs> never to start anything. Yeah. To start anything.
0: You're right. To start AAC, to start teaching literacy, you know, it is never too late. And I think that that's just a very common misconception is that like, well, we've already passed those days and it's like, there's no reason that we can't start supporting, you know, individuals with disabilities and teaching these things, um, you know, regardless of their age.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like we are really blessed in this time to um, have access to share knowledge that we would have not had before. You would have had to have been a member of ASHA or a member of the Council for Exceptional Children and get their journals, read their journals, synthesize the material, and then share it out with your limited network. And now, you know, so many of us are uh, taking what we've learned through research or through practice and are just sharing it out as free resources that I felt like um, much has been shared with me in my career Um, You know, Caroline Musselwhite's a great example. She has two websites just chock full of free information resources you can immediately start using. You've shared out so many fantastic resources that, you know, we can just dive right into your site and grab and learn. And so I wanted to uh, kind of give back uh, to the community that has given a lot to us. So as I read Comprehensive Literacy for All by Karen Erickson and David Copenhaver, it's beautiful and simple and rich and world-changing for our students and for my son. As I was reading it, um, every single page, I felt like, oh, here's something new that we should immediately implement to really change the needle on our adult thinking about learning. Right for students with, um, you know, uh, the language keeps changing, and I want to make sure we're always using uh, the most uh, inclusive language. We started talking about students with them with significant disabilities or severe disabilities, and um, I definitely like language that is clear and precise um, and want it to be student-friendly, uh, people-friendly. With Dan, we talk a lot about, we're still at that pre-verbal state. I don't know, Rachel, do you have a favorite phrase that you really like to use to describe students who are at that early yeah. I mean, free.
0: I think, I think pre-verbal is a good way to, to kind of categorize or that language to use. Um, I tend to fall back, I think, to students with complex communication needs. Cause I think it just kind of describes like the situation at hand without like, adding any type of judgment. Um, But, you know, it's so hard. It's like, we're really trying to listen to, you know, people with disabilities and try to use language that, like you said, is inclusive and respectful. And, you know, these things are shifting and changing. So like, I'm always trying to do my best to just like, listen and be open and shift as kind of the tides change.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And to make sure that we all have um, access to the right language and searches to find the most current information. <clears throat> so within comprehensive literacy for all, and in some of the other work that I've been reading, you know that, that term emergent readers um, to me really is that uh, language full of hope that, you know, we are emerging, we're starting, um, and there's no prerequisite test that says you have to be able to do these five things before you can engage in AAC or to engage in literacy so to me the beautiful gift that's significant that comprehensive literacy for all gave us is that vision that you know start now like don't wait yeah. <laughs> start where your student is um and provide access to things that they are interested in uh, the challenge that i came into because i was like an immediate believer and um <laughs> and a cheerleader and so i was taking this book to teachers and saying, here it's wonderful go change the world. And they were like, I'm teaching every day and I don't have time to to build the routines and the materials that I would need to implement with fidelity so that students can make progress. And so on my teacher mom side, I was like, I can do this. (laughs) I can build free resources because I love techie things and um, can do that as part of my work. So I took um, the concepts that were in comprehensive literacy for all the research base that they had, and then turned that into initially just focusing on that alphabet routine and how can we build knowledge there. And so um, I developed this Google site that um, hopefully the universe can enjoy as much as I enjoyed making it. But I made a book for every a letter of the alphabet And they're in google slides but i realize lots of people have different access issues in their buildings and in their homes so i turn them into pdfs and powerpoints Uh, they can all be copied downloaded and shared and the joy to me of these projects are if i download the book a and it already has five pictures that represent the a sound but my student or my child has a pet or a family member that has a name that starts with A, you can swap out, add, delete pictures and make them very personalized learning experiences for all of our students. So that my favorite places to go are into classrooms or talk to parents who are like, I took the G book and I totally changed it because my student kid loves you know, this game and this activity. And now they have their own book that's just for them um, that they can really dive into. The next world that I started uh, thinking through the lens of is um, these books. <laughs> really are um, hopefully high interest, but also they're very visually uh, cluttered, which is a good thing for some students, but not good for all students. So I did start a CVI version fully saying I do not have that teaching certification or I've got you know life experience, but not um, all the education experience. So I threw out my free versions and I am hoping that people that have rich knowledge and working with students with CBI will reach back out to me and say, like Laura, we really need to change that. D book needs a different picture and this this one isn't accessible. Um, but like I said, people can grab any book they like, change it as much as they would like. I also tried to provide everybody with just the foundations for, hey, if you wanna make your own, here's a template, here are the steps. And I also aligned the free handout that Erickson and Copenhaver shared on in the book that's on Brooks Publishing's website, um, that aligns like, where where did this information come from? Where's the letter a day instructional routine? What's that research base? So that if uh, teachers have the ability to implement with fidelity, they can. The beauty of the research to me is it's 10 minutes a day.
0: Yeah. 10 minutes a day is doable, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's 90 cho- minutes. Yeah. 90 minutes
2: sometimes isn't, but 10 to is two I can do.
0: Totally. I think that. You know, like you said, I think that research really helps break down like this is this is like something that we can all do, you know, and I think that what I really like about the website that you created, which by the way, listeners, we're going to link to that in the show notes. So you have access to Lara's amazing website, which by the way, I share all the time when I'm on, you know, IEP teams and I'm really trying to, you know, advocate for this type of an approach and to read the book and all those things. It's just, it's a really actionable step that feels easy for people to start implementing. Um, So I definitely would recommend, you know, all of our listeners to go and take a look at the website cuz it's fantastic um but circling back you know i think the research has really laid out a really actionable plan um but i will say i think that there's some pushback for reading the book you know cuz it's just like i don't have the time to read all the things and you know it's 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 awesome but it also is kind of like a textbook so it's just like not totally you know it's not totally realistic to you know, go into every classroom and to, you know, go into every IEP meeting and tell everyone to read it and expect that they're going to. Um, so what I really love about the resources that you've created are it kind of breaks down these things in it's easy to digest ways with actual resources to use to teach, right? It's like so good to have all these frameworks in our, in our head, but then that next step of having to feel like you have to create resources or find resources out there that feels like where people get stuck, right? They're like, I know I should be doing these things, but like, how do I do it? And what does that look like? And what do I have to do to create this, you know, learning opportunity for a student? And so I just feel like you've done an amazing job of, you know, creating those things and also sharing them so graciously with, you know, the community, um, um, for free.
2: Well, thank you. Part of the joy of the project for me, one is uh, getting to see students from preschool all the way through high school and students who are enjoying learning to age 21. The books work for everyone. They're not designed to be just a preschool, just for high school, and definitely for our students who are, you know, 14 and up. And we're looking at those job ready, life ready skills. Um, being able to take the books and say, okay, for the letter W, I'm going to go in and I'm going to add a washing machine that looks like the washing machine that's in our classroom or the washing machine that's at their home so that my student has that direct frame and that direct reference. And that to me uh, gives power to, to the literature and power to the work. I love being able to use these as a parent. Um, a lot of times, in my work now as a director of special education, when I'm talking with parents of students that have those more complex communication needs, you know, they often say, like, I don't have a way to connect to school anymore. Like with my other student, you know, I would look in our Schoology program and I would be reading with them and you know, we'd all be reading Wonder together. And I don't really have an appropriate connection with with my other child. And so being able to share this site with parents and say, here's the strategy we are using Um, at our house, we have, Dan, we also have three daughters. And so uh, my 10 year old and my 14 year old love nothing better than to grab a book and sit down with Dan and read a book with him and talk with him about what's there um, and just feel that connection of, of something that they feel like is an appropriate way to interact and support that Dan is interested in and engaged in. Um, To them, it doesn't feel artificial or or like they're trying to force uh, an engagement on him because we've modified the books to be things that Dan really likes. And so, you know, Dan gets a choice of books and then we read together um, and then we model AAC with him um, to really support and talk through. And sometimes, you know, he jumps in and will share with us you know, a word or two on his AHC and other times he pushes his device away and, um, he doesn't want us to use it and doesn't want to use it. And that's good too. But, um, just being able to have authentic conversations with him, um, to me, you know, makes, it makes all the work, uh, worthwhile and, uh, makes the connection real.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're saying as far as just kind of following his lead. And I think that oftentimes we, especially when we set an intention to do something. So it's like, my intention is to sit down with Dan and read a book, right? It's like, we want to like feel productive. We want to like have our students like say something or like indicate that they're paying attention and that they are comprehending. And, you know, it's all with the best intentions. But I think what we unknowingly do is we put a lot of demands on our students. And then, you know, we take away from the interaction right? We take away from that connection, which is ultimately the whole point, right? Of All the things that we're doing and all the teaching that we're doing and the modeling, it's like really just trying to connect and help our students with disabilities connect with the world around them. And I think we kind of lose sight of that sometimes, especially as educators. Um, But even as parents, you know, I do a lot of parent coaching in my practice and it's like, I'll watch these videos and I'm like, but see, like we went, he went right, and like you stayed left, you know. And it's just like really remembering the whole point of this is to like have a great connection and an interaction with you know a student. Yes,
2: one of my favorite times with AC and one of our books is was reading with a student, and we were reading a book, and I was like, oh, she's gonna love this one because um, she loves all kinds of characters. And we were doing the L book, and I embedded a bunch of characters that she likes in the book, yeah. and. I was very excited about the lesson, I couldn't wait. So we're reading through the book and I am modeling on the A C. you know, oh, look at this, I just love this. And there's a lot of the color red because she really likes the color red, I see that. <laughs> she pushed my hand out of the way <laughs> and said, watch TV. I was like, well, was read this really fun book? And this is so much fun. <laughs> but and the she, book I created for you, exactly. it's so good though, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. She clicked again, watch TV. And I said, I, I hear you're clearly telling me you would rather watch TV than read with me right now. So let's find a show that you want to watch. And we'll watch that for three minutes. We set our timer and watched our show. Um, but you know, really trying to reframe our teacher brains and our parent brains from saying, here's my intention to my lesson, my learning target for today um, because you want to turn that AAC into a, but I want you to answer my question. Tell me what color you like, right? And it becomes this quiz opportunity as opposed to you're authentically telling me you're not interested right now and you want something else. Um, and,
0: and that's our conversation. Yeah, and I think just like, I'm always like really interested in thinking about the connections that our students make and really celebrating those. And with that story, it's like you were introducing characters that the student probably was familiar with in a video or a movie or a TV show. And so that connection was an aha moment where it was like, thank you for reminding me that I actually would love to watch that favorite show of mine, you know? (laughs) And so often we're just like, oh, that's not what we're talking about or it's not what we're doing right now. But it's like, if you actually go a little bit deeper, sometimes you can see, those kind of connections that our students are making and like I said you can celebrate those connections um you're able to like see where the you know the student is thinking about things and making those associations um if you go a little bit deeper
2: absolutely absolutely it's just always a beautiful opportunity to um, pause i like to <laughs> and really think through what's the really important uh, part of what we're doing here like what what's what are we really trying to uh, to get to. And for me, it, it always is authentic communication and connection to build yeah. relationships yeah. and to help, uh, you know, to help Dan and to help any student I work with you know, be as independent as they possibly can. So um, trying to force through a series of um, <laughs> of protocols um, often is, while in our minds, that was our training, that's what we're supposed to do, um, is the, the least authentic thing that I feel like I can do.
0: as an educator. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of speaking to that point and kind of circling back to the literacy piece, um, especially with emergent literacy, what has been, you know, kind of the biggest challenge that you have seen in kind of the implementation of, you know, the comprehensive literacy for all framework, um, you know, in your own experience, both with your son, but also just as an educator?
2: I think the first hurdle for for me and working with new teachers or teachers who are very experienced, but new to that idea of comprehensive literacy. It's exactly what you said. It was like, I know all these things are good, but I don't have an access point or a way to implement. I have these other tools (laughs) that were provided for me, sometimes at great expense, right? Or I have no resources. And, and I don't know what to do, and I don't have time to build a bunch of resources. So I the, my first step, um, because when I got the book, I was working in a consultant's role, was to develop some quick modules that just said, you know, here are the big five concepts in comprehensive literacy, and tried to give people some um, quick dive-ins for, like, if you want to work on this section, you know, jump into this activity, try this activity. And teachers said, yeah, that was helpful, and I have a better understanding of the big five but I still don't have the stuff I need to make that happen. And not everybody has access um, to some of the rich training that others of us get to take. So I was like, okay, I hear what you're saying and I understand that. So for me, the first dive in was, um, let's look at that alphabet awareness because I felt like for a lot of um, people, they still wanted to live in the land of (laughs) letter a week. Totally. Right, right. yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) still really wanted to focus uh, materials, especially for our older students, that were very elementary based. So mm-hmm. lots of cartoonish characters of really young children, and they just weren't appropriate tools to take into a middle school or high school. And students were like, yeah, no, put that book away. I don't, I don't want to engage in that. Like, that's not for me. So I thought the easiest thing I could possibly do is create some really quick resources using you know all the wonderful free programs that are out there like Unsplash and Pixabay and Pixels that give us all these beautiful photos that we can use and put together some quick books that follow the research exactly. You know, here's the exact protocol in order. You can swap out pictures, you can add, but you have an immediate tool in your hand. The next piece to me that was the easy jump is predictable chart writing. Yeah, Because I feel like that five day routine, then you can develop your own classroom books and make appropriate shareable books, right? Yeah. Um, So that was my next big jump. And so I did um, start adding um, some of those (laughs) opportunities and just some models of what it looks like um, on the website, using some really simple sentence starters. Um, Those to me were the were the big jumps. I felt like that that helped me uh, feel like, okay, I've got some control over what I'm doing here uh, to make meaningful connections. Yeah, I feel like with the shared reading, so the of the five components, if we're looking at from Comprehensive Literacy for All, were shared reading, self-directed reading, predictable chart writing, alphabet and phonological awareness, and early writing. And I felt like, okay, so if I need, my first start was that alphabet and phonological awareness. Let's make some books. Let's get those in teacher's hands and parents' hands. The next piece I thought was predictable chart writing, because with that, maybe that can kind of lead into our early writing opportunities
1: mm-hmm. and kind
2: of pair those together. For the shared reading and self-directed reading pieces, I tried to build those into the online modules that I created, uh, and they're actually linked into my site. Um, It'll take you into the uh, NKCES, which is the co-op that I work for, it'll take you into their site. And kind of, uh, those are quick tutorials. There were wonderful uh, figures and resources in the book that I kind of recreated so that teachers could grab those and use them in their classroom, um, but using that evidence-based CARS strategy, use some of those bigger pieces that some of us had in our undergraduate or graduate experience. And we're like, oh yeah, I remember that. But how do we use that with our students um, who may or may not be choosing to communicate with us about their interest in the book? Um, So that to me is kind of the third tier. I'm like, if I can get my books in hand, start some predictable chart writing, and then dive into those other pieces. I feel like that gets us well on our way.
0: Yeah, it sets a really good foundation. And I think you kind of chose to prioritize things that feel like there's a formula, you know? And I think that that's part of the challenge with some of the other kind of areas, right? Is like, you know, self-directed reading. Like what, there's no formula, right? Because it's so dependent on so many variables. And I find that, you know, with emergent literacy, that's one of the biggest challenges for the families and the educators that I'm working with is like, well, like he doesn't really like to read by himself or like, what does this look like? And so I'm asking lots of questions and trying to give ideas on like, you know, what a do what do you do when your, you know, student doesn't seem very interested in reading or they get the pages and they're just rapid fire, just going through them, not even really looking. And it's just like, okay, I'm done. Right. Um, so that's been like the challenge, but I think that when you kind of get people off on the right foot with something that's kind of formulaic and it's like, just follow this protocol, here are the resources that you can use. I think you kind of get some momentum built and then you're able to, you know, move forward and those more nuances, um, can kind of be worked on, you know, problem solving and troubleshooting together. Um, once you've kind of ha- set a strong foundation for the alphabet awareness and, uh, you know, predictable chart writing and things like that.
2: Some of the pieces that i feel like when we're working with our middle school and high school students that become more challenging are what we as parents and as teachers think about as age appropriate literature right yep. because we still have students that very much their favorite things to talk about are winnie the pooh or cars they have really specific interests right video games you know they only want to talk about trains um, one of my high school friends, that if we can connect it to a train, we'll we'll talk about it or read it all day long. But if it's not, there's no train in it. Um, so really thinking through and using those connection strategies um, in shared reading <laughs> to recognize that it's not always a comprehension quiz. But if we're really using some of those strategies, it's about connection. Mm-hmm. Right. So so not. And that really changes the frame from. I need to make sure you understood and have comprehensive of this text to um, did this shared experience that we're engaging in um, lead to a new connection for you. So sometimes that's totally out of the text. And we recognize that if we're working on a fourth grade reading standard, you know, we look at all that text to self, text to, to the world, right? Like we think through that lens, but somehow when we start working with our students, who are, are, you know, those emergent communicators, that suddenly seems to go out the window and it suddenly becomes the, you know, who was there? What were they doing? Why were they there? And <clears throat> we lose the piece of just shared enjoyment in the text. Yeah. And um, Yeah. Oh, Which ahead. makes a huge difference. No, it's, it makes a huge difference. So an experience we've had with Dan <laughs> that I think applies to a lot of our, our teaching lives and our parent lives, uh, Dan has three board books he loves. He has loved them forever. And when he was in preschool and elementary school, we just bought 15 copies of them, right? Because he would wear them out. And we would send them to every school. We tell them, you know, read these books. If Dan gets agitated, you know, pull one of these books out and start reading. It instantly calms him. It's a soothing routine. Uh, But middle school and high school, we're not going to send the train board book anymore, right? So we really had to start parceling out, like, what about that train board book? are the pieces that speak to him. And so we figured out a few pieces that speak to him. Um, one is that fine motor, right? It's really hard for him to turn pages and yep. board books are much easier to turn. So yep. like using cardboard, right? So like really modifying the the medium itself. But the other thing we figured out is we did that with some books and he, and he has absolutely zero interest. So we're like, okay, we're missing a connection. And, um, but what we figured out is what he actually really loves the best about the board book is the rhythm and rhyme. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of really um, guttural sounds in it, rumble and rhythm and a lot of errors to it. And it has a beautiful cadence and flow, right? Well, he loves music also. I was like, well, that makes perfect sense. He likes rhythm, he likes rhyme, he likes cadence. He prefers a deeper voice. So we went to um, the American Poetry Foundation and started pulling poems that were more grade and age appropriate. And just practicing and you know, reading them together as a family to find ones that he seemed to connect with and then turning those into some books that we could enjoy and explore together. And not so much because we were trying to you know, move to this poetry, but because that rhythm, that rhyme, that connection was what was important for him as an activity that he would enjoy. So thinking through that lens of like, we want you to find things that are good leisure time activities for you, that are things you'll want to do on your own. In my house, we are re- we love to read it. We read a lot, yeah. right? And Dan needs to be able to have something that he enjoys doing <laughs> while we're all sitting silently staring at our tablets or turning pages. He needs to have his own opportunity to bring us something and say, hey, I want to read this now, or I want to access this online. So I think that causes us to start thinking creatively about what is it about the activity that my child or my student really prefers? And then how can I turn that into more meaningful activities? Or if we want to feel like we want to make sure it's an activity that's age appropriate that you would take with you out in public. My running line is when I take it to Applebee's or Walmart, um, then, you know, and there are certain things like as an adult, I really enjoy confession time. I really enjoy reading romance novels, but yeah. I won't take a romance novel into Walmart or Applebee's because the cover, you know, it just always has that guy with his shirt <laughs> off and it's just not appropriate. I, I can't do it, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy reading them a lot. and I read them at my house and Dan yeah. still really enjoys board books. And I'm like, it's okay to read this at home. Yeah, I like coloring. And some people say, you know, we're a little better now, but 15 years ago, if I said, I'm going to go home and color, it really helps me calm. People would be like, that, that's for children, right? So right. I think we're evolving as human beings to understand yeah. that there are lots of activities we can enjoy reading and doing, um, but trying to shape that and give people activities they can do you know, in public with friends and things we enjoy just doing on our own. So um, for me, hopefully people can grab some of these ideas and grab some of the books and like, we'll we'll make versions we can use in a variety of different ways.
0: Yeah. And you know what I love about you sharing that kind of detective work? Um, Not only do I think it can be applicable to books and literacy, but I think just generally when we have students that have very specific curiosities and favorite toys and favorite activities, it's like, again, going under the surface and trying to figure out the commonalities there, which is exactly kind of what you did when you were trying to explore, you know, different kinds of books. Um, I also think that it's really important. Like our, our, our students oftentimes like the things that they like, and they become kind of like a security blanket, which is totally fine to have that. But, you know, it takes repeated exposure to new things to then develop an interest and enjoy in them. And so part of our job, I think as educators is making sure that we're, you know, trying to expose, trying to take those commonalities and then expose students to new things you know in a way that becomes familiar and I, especially autistic students like the moment it becomes familiar and part of the routine is the moment that they actually start loving it right so it's just like on us to just make sure that we're constantly trying to find commonalities in the things that they're already interested in and then you know pivot or find something a little bit adjacent so if it's like you like trains well maybe you'll like you know automobiles or You know, uh, airplanes or some other type of transportation that I can get you interested in. Um, And I think that's kind of our work as educators to make sure that we're expanding our students' interests, but also kind of respecting what they really like and enjoy. Um, I think we can do all those things kind of at the same time. I
2: absolutely agree. One of my favorite tools to use is uh, blended materials. So for some of our students who have really specific interests and they, do not want to look at anything that has any other knowledge, right? So if I really like trains or a specific video game, and I really only wanna talk about Mario Kart, Mm -hmm. um, but we really need to spend some time in science and social studies because it's the eighth grade and that's what we do in school, right? So how do we blend those two pieces? So the simplest blend that we like to trial out is um, just on a Google slide, we scan in the text and then skin in a Mario Kart picture and pair them side by side, equal size, and then just kind of play with those sizing, right? Maybe Mario Kart has to be bigger to start with, um, but our goal is to get that Mario Kart picture smaller and smaller on the text page yes. until eventually our student can take that and move the Mario Kart around the page. But there's still that comfort in having something I really like and know is good to me and good for me in something that I'm not so sure really is good for me, science, are you sure I really have to learn about this? Right, and that discomfort um, with newness um, has been a real game changer for some of our students. And on a teacher side and a parent side, (laughs) if we wanna go really easy, so we just make them in uh, gradually smaller sizes from the size of an entire paper. I'm like, just go to the copier and just keep reducing by 10%. Yeah, until you get smaller and smaller. And most of the students that I've worked with are really good about just trading out. They're like, yep, I will use this size today. Um, whether they're masking text, they don't want to look at right now because it's visually too much or because, you know, they want to use that just to kind of slide through the page. But I always feel like um, anything we can do to increase comfort. Yeah, um, I, we do the same for ourselves. Um, sometimes it's interesting to me that we seem to raise a higher bar or a more complicated bar um, for students that have different interests or different ways of accessing learning.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that that's a really good kind of strategy is just like have something that's familiar paired with something that's not. Um, And I actually really love the tool Canva for that because you're able to use so many images and drop in a student's favorite, you know, thing, um, you know, in an image and, their picture, you know, their pictures of their family, like there's so many different things you can do on Canva digitally, um, that I found a lot of success, um, with trying to kind of integrate the work, the coursework that students are, you know, expected to do in classrooms while also having things that they're very interested in and, you know, excited about.
2: Yeah. I think it's been pretty amazing to be able to, um, recognize the value of student interest and engagement The best work I feel like we've done in our field is to learn that relationships supersede all else. Right? Absolutely. Before we start with content. So for me, when we're thinking about emergent literacy, uh, emergent writing, emergent reading, like it has to start at a foundational knowledge of who our students or our children are as people and where their interests lie. Yeah. before we dive into, like, here's what I want you to learn, right? Here's what I want you to do. Um, That's (laughs) I find that to often backfire, right? Yeah. Um, But but starting at that completely different uh, lens of tell me about you and let me watch and see what you're drawn to, what you love and what you enjoy, and then now let's enjoy those things together um, can just be a total game changer for all of our students.
0: And one of my, you know, big takeaways from Comprehensive Literacy for All was this idea of the independent reading and writing and really that fostering a love for literacy because it feels so often like we're kind of just impressing upon, like, you need to learn to read and write, which is true, but like, why? So that you can better access more content about the things that you love. Um, And I think that was just such an aha moment when I was reading the book and something that just has, you know, me in my practice because I'm like, how can we get kids excited to learn how to become better readers and writers, you know, based on the things that they're intrinsically motivated by. Um, So that was just like an aha moment for me that just, I think is shaped, you know, the way that I practice. And I do a lot of coaching now for literacy with my clients. And um, I just think it's such a important thing to take away.
2: One of the most fun things about the books for me, putting them together every book has a fake text message. And to me, that's the most authentic way. And I did a lot with emojis because again, one of the most authentic ways that most of us communicate this point with each other is through a text message or uh, using a ton of emojis and fit emojis. So I (laughs) was like, we just need to make that a key part of every book. And just to remind us as adults that like, Uh, communication needs to be authentic and needs to be fun and it doesn't all have to be so, so serious. Um, But let's make a bunch of silly fake text messages and send them back and forth to each other. Um, And my hope was because I gave everybody the link. I'm like, go to I fake text messages and make them for your students and put in student names and pet names and have all kinds of people send texts back and forth. If they love all things, Mario Kart. Mario can send them a text message every day. Yeah. um, that you can dive into. Uh, so, uh, to me, there's just there are so many wonderful, fun things. Canva. Um, there's so many free picture sources. It's just sometimes, you know, as a teacher, it's like, where are all these places, and how can I pull them all together? Yeah. So, with the CVI books, um, it took me a while to find bubble letters. And, you know, kind of playing with all the different formats, like, can we make them in Word? Can we make them? So I found the Roman letters, which somebody else was like, I found those years ago. I was like, you didn't share. I didn't know. So hopefully people will be able to find a new few new favorite tools um, and things they can use between all of our collective free sites.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things I appreciate about your site is that it does have the CVI component. There's so many There's so many students who have, you know, CBI or just any type of visual impairment, and there's just not a lot of resources out there to make materials accessible. So I very much appreciate that. And it's like one of the, you know, things I definitely call out um, when I'm working with a student with CBI or any type of visual impairment. And also sometimes students just like those. Like sometimes my student doesn't have a visual impairment but they're just, you know, for whatever reason, they like that those versions better. So I'll always, you know, kind of see like which one do you like better? Do you want to read this book or this book and see kind of if they have a preference, you know? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I feel like the more more choices, more options we have the better. And I feel like as educators, as parents, as therapists, um, the more that we can share together, to support our students um, and uh, support our work, uh, the better. So I was glad to be able to throw out some some favorite things that, that I had made, and I'm glad that they've been helping uh, teachers and parents and therapists um, connect and support.
0: Yeah, Laura, I'm super excited that you were able to come on today and share all of your amazing resources. I Always share your website when I'm working within teams, especially school in a school setting. But even just for my families who are trying to incorporate literacy at home, they're just so easy to use and customize. And um, you've taken so much time to create those resources. And you, like I said, so graciously share them for free. Um, So I definitely recommend all of our listeners go to the website. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, For anyone who's interested in connecting you with, with you, Laura, where can they find you?
2: I actually have my email on the website, and they are welcome to reach out to me by email if they are looking for free uh, resources. Um, All of the the work that I did making modules all through COVID um, with the co-op, we shared out just tons and tons of free resources. There's a hundred free modules on the NKCES professional learning site, and a good many of them focus on supporting students um, with ATAC, communication, uh, and students who fall in that low incidence category. So they can find me there on that website. Um, I've got an email, resources at gmail.com. And then, um, Rachel, you're also welcome to share my uh, G- other Gmail. Um, they all link together into one master email pile. So either way, you can catch me. Amazing. And well, I we- also... Good. No, they can also I'm on Facebook uh, and also on Instagram. So if they and Twitter, so if they'd like to follow me there. What's your handle? Uh, do I follow other. you?
0: Do I follow you on Instagram?
2: I don't know if you do or not. Well, I'm I gonna. Will, I'm I, gonna, Laura. I, Lara. I get my handle. I'm sitting here at work right now, and so I'm like, where is where is my device? That has the right connection. <laughs> I think I'm just Laura S. Clark. Let's see. Oh, I'm sorry,
0: I am Laura one two Clark. <laughs> it's funny that you don't know your name. I do the same Isn't thing. That awful, it's, yes. It's, I found you. On Twitter. Oh my Stop gosh! Yay! It. Okay, yes. yes, it's Laura one two Clark. We'll link to that in the show notes too. I just okay. became a follower of yours, Laura. I'm oh, really thank excited. You. I believe I
2: I have followed all your things. So so exciting. We'll follow each other. Amazing.
0: Right yes, but, Laura. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your wisdom and experience and all the resources. Super excited to chat with you today, and I appreciate your time.
2: Thanks so much, Rachel. It's great to talk with you today.
0: Amazing. So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Meadle, joined by Laura Clark. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.